Hope today's been a good day for each of you. I'd like to start this morning the way I like to start any time that I have a chance to speak. We did it one time, I think, before when I was here. Some of you may remember Elder Pastor Glenn Kuhn. And he started many of his meetings, maybe most of them, with this. So if you know it or don't know it, I'd like you to sing with me. Come and go with me to my father's house. We'll just sing the first stanza. Come and go with me to my father's house, to my father's house, to my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house, where there's joy, joy, joy. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, make me a nail upon the wall. Fix firmly in its place. And from this nail so common and so small, hang a great big picture of Jesus' precious face. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I want you to know, some of you have heard it before, but i got to repeat it. I love you. If we have the same father, we're all in the same family, and we can love each other. You know, God has a big problem, doesn't he? Does God like people dying of disease and sickness? Does he like the disagreements? The arguments that go on in our families? Does he like the suffering from millions of people who don't get enough to eat each day? Does he like that? How do you think it makes his heart feel? It brings pain, doesn't it? And what is the reason for all of these things? What is the reason there is the suffering and causing each other heartache? The scriptures uses a three-letter word, doesn't it? Sin. And today, we're going to, in some ways, look at a kind of a difficult subject. But God, more than anything else, than to get rid of all the sin in our lives. He wants it to be eradicated, I mean gone. And he wants to replace that sin. And I use another term with it because for me, somehow I can understand it better is selfishness. Because it seems like most all sin has a base root of selfishness. And he wants us to get rid of that. And he wants to replace that. He wants the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to replace that selfishness and that sin with self-sacrificing love. He wants to do away with sin. 
He wants us to choose. In my thinking, when we understand more completely, and I think we can do this every day, I don't think it's uh, just when we've first started studying the scriptures, but I think each day we can understand a little bit more as we read the Bible how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, what he is doing. But he wants you and I to have joy in our hearts. He wants us to have peace and contentment. But as long as we choose to disobey what he has said and to sin, we'll have problems. So God has given us in the scripture a picture of how to get rid how sin is getting rid of. How he takes sin away. It would be nice, but of course he would, does not do this. It would be nice if somehow he could just speak and take away sin from every one of our lives, right? But he can't do that because he has given every one of us freedom of choice because that's what love is based on. You cannot make somebody else love you. You cannot force, there is no, can be no force involved in a loving relationship. So God will not force you and I to choose to receive his power to do away with the sin in our life. He will not do that. It's our choice. But there's another person involved in this process. And that's the devil. And the devil wants us to disbelieve what God says, to distrust him to believe our society, to believe our friends, to believe those who have no relationship with God. And he wants to break that relationship so we will distrust and make ourselves the Lord of our lives instead of Jesus in control of our lives. I'd like to read a couple paragraphs to you from a, from a little book. And it's in... It's in the church library here. <laughs> it's called Ransom and Reunion Through the Sanctuary. We're going to look at the sanctuary today because this is the method where God is going to get rid of sin once and for all, for all eternity. Satan and those who choose, who disobey, who don't want to love, who don't want to be loving people, who want to be selfish and have their own way are going to be gone. And those who choose him and choose his love to take complete control of their lives will live in a situation, I want to come tomorrow if it's possible because it's so fantastic, so wonderful. So from page 11 from this book, 
God longs for your fellowship, your love, your understanding. To him, you and I are precious. For this reason, has made us. For this reason, he died for us. For this reason, he went back to heaven to prepare a place for you and I. Leaving his parting promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, that where Jesus is, there you and I can be also for eternity in a loving relationship, in a loving relationship with every intelligent being. But there's one thing that hinders this from taking place. Sin separated you and I from God. And sin prolongs that separation today. Our iniquities have separated us from God. Since sin makes a separation between God and those he loves, he hates it. He can't tolerate it. He can't live with it. He must eradicate it. But how can he do so without destroying those infected with sin? Is that a problem? How does God do it? How does he destroy sin without destroying those who are infected with the virus of sin? And that's what Jesus came for. And this is what the sanctuary was built so that we would understand fully what the process is of getting rid of sin, getting rid of, and sin uh, being the transgression of the Ten Commandments, transgression of what he has taught in Scripture that is the best way to live. And the first thing that we really need to look at as we look at the sanctuary, and there are two the sanctuary that the Israelites worshipped in out in the desert and the sanctuary that is in heaven. But the first thing, you may, I don't know how many of you have, have seen a picture of the sanctuary. I have one that's not very good. It's in this book here. But this is the sanctuary that, was in, that Israel went and worshipped in. As they came in from the east through the, these things, there was, a, there was an altar here. And as God instructed them to get when they had sinned, he said, I want you to bring a lamb and you had to kill that lamb and offer it on the sacrifice. And then the priest either would take some of the blood or he would eat part of it and take it in the sins of the Israelites were transferred from the altar of sacrifice here into the holy place. In other words, the people's sins 
went from here and were stored into the, into the, uh, in the holy place. The temple itself, the sanctuary itself, were made up of two parts. The first part here was the holy place, which had the candlestick and the showbread and the altar before the veil, and then into the most holy place, where the Ten Commandments are written. And this is a copy. Moses was shown the sanctuary in heaven, and this is a copy that he, that was made. I don't know if you want to pass this around, look at it. But there was some, a very important thing done. This is a type. This was a visual image to the Israelites and so that we too can understand what is going on in heaven today. But the first thing that is shown here, when someone had sinned, one of the Israelites had sinned and they brought a lamb and they killed the lamb, how would you feel when you had sinned? You had to bring a lamb to church and you had to kill the lamb. It might give us the idea that sin is very deadly, wouldn't it? What it showed also is that we cannot save ourselves. Our sin has, the price of our sin, the penalty of our sin must be paid by somebody else. We cannot get ourselves out of our own situation. Now this whole thing that was done with the Israelites of sacrificing the lamb, the lamb was a symbol but it, really, it took the sin from Israel, that person, and was taken into the sanctuary and it built up over the course of the year. That lamb represented the love of Jesus Christ. Because he would pay the penalty. We cannot do anything. We have to rely on him completely for the removal of sin from our lives. And you know, it's too bad. But sometimes we get to enjoy sin. We like it. It tastes good sometimes. But God wanted us to know that we could not save ourselves and that sin could not be removed without the shedding of blood. That's a reality. That's what Scripture teaches. But when we see what God wants to do, as day by day, the sin would, would go to the sanctuary and was built up. It took it away from the Israelite. It was put into the sanctuary. And what we're going to spend the rest of our time is the day at the end of the year, the seventh month and the tenth day, when the Day of Atonement came, that the high priest would go in 
to the most holy place in where the ark was, where the Ten Commandments were. And he would purify. He would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat over the Ten Commandments. And he would remove the sin from the sanctuary. And this was all type. Did, I'll ask a question. Was it the lamb that they killed that saved, that separated them from their sin? This was just a symbol of what Jesus would do later on. It covered their sin. But none of all of their sins or none of our sins will be done away with until the very end of time when Jesus' work in the sanctuary is done. So Jesus came to show you and I the Father and who he was, how much love he has for us. And he wants to show us how he is going to eliminate sin from our lives and give us the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. There were three things, three big changes in Jesus' life. The first change, when he, after he came to this earth, First change is when in 31, when he was crucified. Did the disciples know? Had Jesus told him that he was going to be crucified? He had, hadn't he? He spelled it out pretty clear. But they had their own idea of what the Messiah ought to do and what God ought to do. And they discounted and they didn't know. So when he died, it was almost like it was they were totally unprepared. But then Jesus explained after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he explained to them what had happened and why it had to take place. The next big move came, and we're, we really should go into the 2300 days and, and explain it to you in detail, but it's the end of the, the longest time prophecy in the Bible. But in 1844, at the end of the 2300 days, Jesus again made a major move. When he had been resurrected, when he had gone back to heaven, he spent 18 centuries in what we have just looked at a little bit as the, as the holy place, the first compartment, where he brought his blood to cover our sins as we came to him, repented of what we had done wrong, how we uh, had we disappointed, how unloving we have been, and specifically what is done. For 18 centuries in the holy place, Jesus, through his love and through his, it was his blood that covered our sins. Again, as we talked about Israel, this is just a covering. It does not do away with the sin once and for all. And for 1,800 years, this work of ministration continued in the first apartment of the sanctuary. The blood of Christ pleaded on the behalf of penitent believers, secured their pardon and acceptance with the Father, yet their sins still remained on the books of records. As in the typical service, the Jewish service that we've talked about, there was a work of atonement at the close of the year 
So before Christ's work for redemption of men is completed, there is a work of atonement for the removal of sin from the sanctuary in heaven. And so, in A.D. 1844, there was a worldwide, what can I say? Worldwide uh, acknowledgement, uh, understanding. And it was preached that Jesus was going to come and clean, cleanse the sanctuary, but they believed that the earth was the sanctuary. Jesus was making a major move. And it was proclaimed far and wide. And many did repent of their sins. But Jesus was moving from the holy place, in as the high priest had done in the earthly sanctuary, going into the most holy place. And this was what took place in 1844. And they didn't understand it. But after it was, after the time had passed and Jesus had not come to earth, they continued to study scripture and they found what he was doing, what his purpose was. He went into the most holy place. And as it was a day of atonement, it was a day of atonement on earth. And he's been working there. He still pleads his blood with the Father to forgive our sins as we repent. But he has another part that he is working there also. Because after his resurrection, after he moved into the most holy place, there was time. People could understand what was happening. The next major move that Jesus is going to make of the holy place, of the most holy place in heaven, is what is known as the close of probation. We're living in the time, the day of atonement. And Jesus wants more than anything else is for you and I to have the joy and the love in our hearts and have it all the time have it never stop. He wants us, as we, taught, we call it the golden rule, to treat others the way we would like to be treated if we were in their situation. We cannot do it by ourselves. It has to be our personal relationship with Jesus that brings us about. But he wants, Revelation twenty two twelve, Behold, I come quickly. He wants to come. He wants us to be with him. But there has to be a separation between you and I and sin. It has to be done away with. And there's going to come a time, not too long, I think, that everybody will have made their decision, either for love or for selfishness. He says, I give you my Holy Spirit. We don't do it by ourselves. We can't do anything except we invite him to come in and take over our lives. Invite Jesus to come. And as I've said before, we'll say every time I get a chance, when we know how much he loves us, 
We'll know how much he's suffering with all the sin that's going on. And we'll come to the place that we'll hate it as much as he does because we don't want to suffer and we don't want anybody around us to suffer. But we want them to know what time it is so that they can prepare and do what he has said so that when probation closes, we will be with him and have his love ruling completely in our hearts and in our lives. That's what I want. Do you want that? But you know, it takes some tough decisions. Some hard decisions. Things that we got used to. Some things our families have done for years and decades and maybe centuries that we've gotten used to and we think is okay. It was okay for our, our families. It's okay for us. But Jesus says, Everything he said in the scripture has been to let us know what love is like and to know what will last for eternity in accepting him as a personal savior, accepting the Holy Spirit, surrendering each day. I can't do anything. I have to surrender to him my willpower, my power of choice, that I will do what he wants done that day. So I can show those around me and that you can show those around you what love is really like and what God is really like so that that separation can become complete. And when sin is completely out of God's people, then probation will close. Then there'll be There'll be a time of trouble, and we won't go into that today, but there'll be a time that Satan, because he does not want to accept Jesus' verdict, that there are people on earth who can love and can do his will completely through his power. Satan says that cannot be done. And so he's going to put God's people through a terrible time. But God says, you can be ready. I've told you. Just like he told the disciples he was going to die, he has told us what needs to happen. And it needs to happen now. And I think the time has come, come very, very short. From There's a book called Great Controversy. From page 487, it says, How have we used our time How have we used our pen? How have we used our voice? How have we used our money? How have we used our influence? What have we done for Christ in the person of the poor, the afflicted, the orphan, the widow? God has made us, you and I, the depository of the Holy Word. What have we done with the light and the truth given us to make men wise until salvation? Listen to this, please. No value is attached to a mere profession of faith in Christ. Only love, which is shown by works, is counted genuine. Yet it is love alone, which in the sight of heaven makes any act of value. Whatever is done from love, however small it may appear, in the estimation of men, is accepted 
and rewarded of God. We are now living in the great day of atonement. It lasted only one day, the Israelites. But it's lasted since 1844 when Jesus went into the most holy. We've been living in the day of atonement. In like manner, all who would have their names retained in the book of life should now, in the few remaining days of our probation, afflict our souls before God by sorrow for sin and true repentance. There must be deep, faithful searching of the heart. The fight, the light, frivolous spirit indulged by so many professed Christians must be put away. There is earnest warfare before all who would subdue the evil tendencies that strive for the mastery. The work of preparation is an individual work. I want to be filled with God's love. Do you? I want him to do the work, whatever he needs to do in my life to get rid of sin, because it's going to be done once and for all. The three angels' messages of Revelation 14 are warning the whole world or telling the whole world that the suffering, the pain that we're going through is going to stop. It's going to be finished. It's going to be ended. But somehow it's been kept a secret from most of the people on planet Earth. They don't know that God is going to stop what Satan has done and the pain that he's caused and the death and the disease. But we have to choose. And those that know his will, have to choose whether they want to have sin in their life or they want to have his love and allow him to transform them. It's going to happen pretty soon. There's all kinds of indications, all kinds of other things that are happening. Please, make that choice. This may not, may not understand very well. But when we seek, when we from the heart want to understand God's will, he will show us and help us every day to know what to do, how to get rid of it, how to make the choices he wants. Our sins, our, the, the penalty of our sins have been paid by Jesus on the cross. The power is there. We cannot do ourselves. It's not self-righteousness. It's our total dependence on him and our relationship with him. In closing, I'd like to read another paragraph, page. I don't know if you've seen, some of you probably have not, but there's a, a, a morning watch book called Our Father Cares that I read most all the time. Anyway, this is from page 36. Rest yourself holy in the hands of Jesus. Contemplate his great love. And while you meditate upon Jesus' self-denial, his infinite sacrifice made in our behalf in order that we should believe in him, your heart will be filled with a holy joy, calm peace, indescribable love, as we talk of Jesus 
as we call upon him in prayer, our confidence that he is our personal, loving Savior will strengthen, and his character will appear more and more lovely. We may enjoy rich feasts of love, and as we fully believe that we are his by adoption, we may have a foretaste of heaven. We might wait upon the Lord in faith. The Lord draws out, of the soul, draws out our soul in prayer and gives us to feel his precious love. We have a nearness to him, and we can hold sweet communion with him. We obtain distinct views of his tenderness and compassion, and our hearts are broken and melt with contemplation of the love that is given to us. We feel indeed an abiding Christ in the soul. Our peace is like a river. Wave after wave of glory rolls into the heart. And indeed, we eat with Jesus and he with us. We have a realizing sense of the love of God and we rest in his love. No language can describe it. It's beyond knowledge. We are one with Christ. Our life is hid with Christ in God. We have the assurance that when he who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. With strong confidence, we can call God our Father. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. His Spirit makes us like Jesus in temper, in disposition, and we represent Christ to others. When Christ is abiding in our souls, the fact cannot be hid, for he's like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. We can but represent the likeness of Christ in our character. In our words, our deportment, all of this produces a deep, abiding, increasing love for Jesus, and we may make and we make manifest that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is what he wants to fill our lives with. And very soon, everything that we know that hurts, that causes suffering is gone. And I want to live when everything, when every motive, when every action is an action of love, don't you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look very briefly at what Jesus is doing in the heavenly sanctuary right now. We know when we sin now, it causes pain and it causes discomfort. And he wants more than anything else that each of us will get rid of sin. And he will do it. He was promised to do that for us. Day by day, may we give ourselves to you completely. May we allow you to work in us and separate us from sin completely that the close of probation will come and that soon after that Jesus will come and take us to be with you for eternity. We thank you for hearing us in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.